Good evening. All right. Uh, take your Bibles, if you would. Look at Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. We're going to read these over and over again each week because these are our focus verses for a long time. Although we are making progress. So let's read those two verses, Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So tonight we've made it to the end of verse 22 uh, and the first seven aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. We've also made it to the first of the last three, which are, as we said before, often categorized as specifically being directed uh, towards ourselves. And that can sound a little strange, though. And this doesn't mean that the manifestation of this fruit in our lives has nothing to do with other people. In fact, these last three, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, in our lives will absolutely interact with other people. They are about us and our character, and of course, other people will have to deal with us and our character, whether good or bad. So the last three in the list, um, as I said, are about us in the sense of being godly character traits that we possess through the Spirit of God, which benefit us in our relationships with God and with others. And the first thing we want to do is to take some time to talk about what Paul means by this word that he's using, faithfulness. Well, that's how it's been translated, and how it is um, and can be and should be exhibited in your life as a Christian and my life as a Christian. What does faithfulness look like uh, in the Christian life? Who, who benefits from that faithfulness that God is producing in you? We also want to take a look at the true and unpolluted form of faithfulness that we find in God himself. Uh, he is the ultimate example of faithfulness, and we are the ultimate beneficiaries of his faithfulness. But what does it mean that God is faithful? Is it the same thing as us? Is it something that is in doubt? Um, so as we look more closely at the fruit of faithfulness, and let's ask God to help us examine our lives and weigh them against the measure of his own faithfulness. So let's pray together, and then we'll get started tonight. Our Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this evening. We thank you for the sunshine today. Uh, thank you, Father, for time to come and gather, to share a meal, to sing. Praises to you, Lord, to then be able to open up your word and hear what you have said. Lord, I pray you would speak to our hearts tonight through your word. Help us to have understanding, Lord. Help us to be encouraged today and convicted if necessary. Um, thank you, Father, that you are the ultimate faithful one. Um, we are so grateful that we benefit from that as Christians. What a, what a gift, Lord. Thank you. Help us to be faithful, Lord. And we want to glorify you in that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Um, faithfulness. 
The fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness. Now remember, we're looking at these fruit of the Spirit in the context of Paul making a distinction between what is produced by uh, the application of our own desires or works of the flesh, making a distinction between that and what is divinely produced in the hearts and lives of believers. And this fruit is not present in the lives of everyone. It is only present in the lives of believers, those who are regenerate, those who are born again. And some would like to say, maybe I know a lot of non-Christians who are kind and loving and gentle, etc., but that is only true in the sense of what we can see outwardly. God sees the heart, and that includes the, includes the motives of men and women. And what we see from unbelievers is not the same. It is, is it sometimes genuinely kind that someone, an unbeliever would do a genuinely kind thing in the earthly and human sense? Sure it is. Okay, we see that. But it's not empowered by the same Spirit. It, is, it does not have the same motives. It does not accomplish the same things. It does not point people to Christ. It is not backed by the truth of the gospel, and it does not and cannot please God. And Hebrews 11.6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Now, the, the Greek word that Paul used here in Galatians 5 is pistis, and this has been translated in most of your Bibles as faithfulness. And this word is, is used throughout the letter to the Galatians. Here, It's actually not that long of a book when you, when you look at Galatians compared to some other books, um, but there's like 22 uses of this word in, in this short letter. Um, and it's used for faith or faithfulness, and mostly in terms of salvation, mostly of making the distinction between salvation by faith or salvation uh, by works of the law. But what is being talked about here in Galatians 5, in our context, is not salvation. Paul's use of the word here is for a different purpose. And this is about, this is about what's being produced by the Spirit of God and those who are already saved. A salvation, in other words, salvation has taken place. It's already been accomplished by God, and now he is producing in the lives of Christians the fruit of his own spirit, which is faithfulness. And this is about Christians now growing up into their salvation. In 1 Peter 2, 1 and 3, Peter makes, um, he makes the reality of this and the desire for this kind of growth really clear. He says, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So this is not about faith unto salvation. That's already happened in this context. So that's kind of our starting point. We need to understand that. But this is about faithfulness exhibited in the life of a believer. So what does that look like then? What does it mean for us to be faithful, to grow up into our salvation, that this faith would be incre- faithfulness would be increased in our lives? So I'm going to ask you that question then. What does it mean for us to be faithful? What do you think that means? Obedience? 
Okay? Yeah? What else? But what Paul is talking about, what the Spirit of God is producing in us, is really the character trait or attribute of being trustworthy. And some have it as fidelity. It, it doesn't only mean that, but that would really be a good way to kind of boil it down. Uh, it was used that way in Greek secular writings as well. I was looking at some commentators and what they said about this word, and William Barclay says, fidelity, this word, pistis, is common in secular Greek for trustworthiness. It is the characteristic of the man who is reliable. Okay, and another said, in a word, this component of the fruit of the Spirit describes one's trustworthiness, loyalty, reliability, adherence, constancy, dependability, devotedness. Okay, these words all make sense to us. We, we get these words. We understand that. And, and the use of the word fidelity as a synonym here is, is interesting because that is Latin and it has the meaning of faith and to trust. And this meaning is, is strict, it's careful, it's continuing, and exact observance of duty or performance of obligations. That's all encompassed in this. So faithfulness really does have a strong meaning in the sense that Paul uses the word pistis here in our text. And this is certainly not to be taken lightly. We should, not, or we should be thankful for the work of, of the Spirit in our hearts to produce such a trait of faithfulness. This is to mark the Christian life. Paul gave an example of what this kind of faithfulness looks like when he wrote to Titus about different aspects of the Christian life. He talked about men and women and others and how they're to behave as Christians. And the example he gave using this word was that of the, the slave and his master. Um, and you may remember this from our study through, through Titus uh, several months ago. Titus 2, 9 and 10 says, Bondservants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Hey, do your work well. Don't steal from your master. That would not be in keeping with showing all good faith, certainly. And Paul says the bondservant is to behave this way at the end of verse 10, there, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. So there's a connection. Some, there's a connection between our faithfulness in life and what God says in his word. When we are obedient to God in faithfulness, in this faithfulness that he's producing, it says something. It, it adorns. In addition to the fact that being of good faith or having faithfulness keeps the word of God from being despised, as, as what took place earlier in Titus, Slaves are to do their work in this way because it adorns the word of God, not because their master is nice, but because God commands it. Okay, though Paul instructs masters in their own responsibilities as Christians as well. And the idea there is that what you do or say accentuates or shines a light on what is already so beautiful, not covering it up uh, and, and detracting from it by disobedience. Okay, the, the gospel Salvation, the grace of God, the love of God, etc., are all being dressed up and accentuated in our faithful obedience. And we, we cannot make 
try as hard as we might, we cannot make God attractive to people by how many programs we have at the church or um, by the sophistication of our technology and those kinds of things. We make God attractive by living the life of obedience to his word, no matter what our circumstances. It is the, the holiness and the submissiveness the faithfulness of God's people to what he says that points directly to Jesus Christ and his glory and not our own. So what the Spirit of God is producing now as a, as a fruit of the Spirit, what the Spirit is producing in you as a Christian is not just the knowledge of what it means, of what faithfulness means, not just the knowledge of what it means to be faithful, and not even just the attitude of faithfulness, but also the ability to live out that faithfulness in the context of everyday life. The Spirit of God produces all of that, provides all of that for us. I mean, is there any Christian who has or ever exhibits perfect faithfulness? No. And there never will be. There, there was only ever one man that exhibited true and perfect faithfulness for his whole life, and that was our Lord. But we don't then conclude that it's not important for us to walk in obedience to Christ as his Spirit produces that fruit in us. How does God feel about it? How does, how does he feel about faithfulness? Does he expect it? Is it optional? Why or why not? How important is faithfulness in God's eyes? What do you think about that? How important is faithfulness in God's eyes? On a scale of 1 to 10, <laughs> 11, right, exactly. It's extremely important, mainly because he perfectly exemplifies faithfulness, which we'll talk about later, but it is not optional. He doesn't produce this fruit in us for no reason. He doesn't produce this fruit in us uh, so that we can ignore it. Yes. good level perfect perfect obedience perfect faithfulness that is god's standard that's his scale well that's why we're talking about this because we don't do it perfectly we can't do it perfectly so therefore we need the spirit of god to produce this in us and it's well he knows we're sinners he absolutely knows and we don't even need satan to be have a problem with this, though, you know, we do have to deal with Satan's schemes and all that involved in this, but uh, we can't just blame Satan either. Uh, we have our own sin nature, okay? Uh, but but if, if trustworthiness is a synonym for faithfulness and trust, trustworthiness um, is thrown out the window by someone who lies, okay, that, that typically what happens when people lie is you don't, you don't trust them anymore. Um, then we should know how God feels about these things. So when we ask that question, how does God really feel about faithfulness? Well, in looking at the Old Testament, in Proverbs 12, 22, he says, Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. Okay, so according to that verse, how does God see those who act faithfully? 
They are, they are trustworthy, yeah. They are his delight, okay? The opposite is, is true of the other one. Um, he, he delights in one. They are pleasing to him, those who act faithfully. But liars, on the other hand, those who are not faithful, not trustworthy, are an abomination to him. And Scripture tells us that all liars will have their part in the lake of fire. They are not faithful. And Deuteronomy 32.20, and he said, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end will be, for they are a perverse generation, children in whom is no faithfulness. So during the time when Moses was about to die and, and Joshua was uh, to take his place in leading um, God's people, this was spoken by God about the, the people of Israel who were not truly his children because they were not faithful. Their lack of faithfulness proved they were not his children, those who were not faithful. And we might start thinking then, oh no, I, when I sin, I'm not being faithful to God. I must not be his child. No, I shouldn't come to that conclusion so quickly. You, you examine your life, you see what your pattern is. And first of all, if you're concerned about your lack of faithfulness, uh, that's, that's a good sign that you would even be concerned about it. The, the unbeliever is really not concerned about faithfulness. They're not concerned about pleasing God. And second, the, the point is that the people are being unfaithful as a way of life, and, and we're unrepentant in that unfaithfulness. Earlier in the previous chapter in Deuteronomy, God described them in terms of what they were about to do after Moses' death. In Deuteronomy 31, 16, and 18, 16 through 18, says, And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, you are about to die. You are about to lie down with your fathers. Then this people will rise and whore after the foreign gods among them in the land that they are entering, and they will forsake me and break my covenant that I have made with them. Then my anger will be kindled against them in that day, and I will forsake them and hide my face from them, and they will be devoured. And many evils and troubles will come upon them, so that they will say in that day, Have not these evils come upon us because our God is not among us? And I will surely hide my face in that day because of all the evil that they have done, because they have turned to other gods. And these are people proving to be unfaithful as a way of life. Not a sin here and there that they're ashamed of and repent of and they turn back to the Lord. The, the consistent unfaithfulness in an unrepentant fashion is a large flashing sign that someone is not a believer, that someone is not a child of God. There was another commentator uh, who I thought summed this up pretty well. Not only what faithfulness is, but what truth is proven by the lack of it, okay, by the lack of faithfulness. And he said the, the word here may be used in the sense of, and he's talking about this word pistis okay, that, that Paul used. The word here may be used in the sense of fidelity and may denote that the Christian will be a faithful man, a man faithful to his word and promises, a man who can be trusted or confided in. It is probable that the word is used in this sense because the object of the apostle is not to speak of the feelings which we have towards God so much as to illustrate the influences of the Spirit in directing and controlling our feelings toward men. True religion makes a man faithful. The Christian is faithful as a man faithful as a neighbor, faithful as a friend, 
father, husband, son. He is faithful to his contracts, faithful to his promises. Here's the difference. No man can be a Christian who is not thus faithful. And all pretensions to being under the influences of the Spirit, when such fidelity does not exist, are deceitful and vain. Okay, so, so the person who lacks faithfulness, their, their pattern of life is not that of faithfulness, can't claim to be a Christian because God is producing this in the lives of believers. It will be there. You will see it. Not in perfection, but it will be there, and it will be growing in the lives of Christians. And so there's a deceitfulness that can come after people in thinking they do certain things, therefore they're faithful, they are a child of God, but there has been no repentance. They, they don't live that way. It really gets the importance of seeing the true manifestation of this fruit that is produced in, in, in our lives and empowered by the Holy Spirit. It is not conjured up by man. Man can't produce this, and the lack of it altogether is a sure sign of the lostness of that person. Jesus called out the unfaithfulness of those who were supposed to be the most faithful, the the most trustworthy, the most relied upon for spiritual guidance. And these were the Pharisees. In Matthew 23, 23, he said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You may look at them, at these Pharisees, the people look at them, they may conclude they're very faithful. Right? Look, look how they observe their traditions and adhere to their rituals. They are faithful, though, to the wrong things, okay? to, to the wrong God. Therefore, they are deemed unfaithful. They are, as Jesus said elsewhere, sons of hell. That's how he described them. If that weren't enough, they're leading others to hell by their unfaithfulness. And this was not acceptable in Jesus' time, and it's not acceptable in our time either. That whole chapter in Matthew 23 is full of Jesus' righteous name-calling. Really, he's calling names, but he's calling out the truth about these men. He refers to these unfaithful leaders in very unflattering terms, to say the least. He said, For they preach, but do not practice. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. You're hypocrites, he says, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, blind guides, you blind fools, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. These are unfaithful men to the core. They are unfaithful, unrepentant, unbelievers, though they profess to be God's people. The unbeliever, even the, even the one going through the motions of trying to act like a believer, will find themselves in this place because only the Spirit of God can produce 
prove faithfulness in, in men and women. And he does so for his repentant, regenerate children, all accomplished by him, of course. So maybe we should ask some questions then about what faithfulness looks like. What does it look like in the lives of, of God's people? What does Christian faithfulness look like in the following relationships? With, with friends, with the Christian's friends. What does Christian faithfulness look like in your relationship with your friends? What was that? Okay, talking about God's word together. Sure. Supporting each other, okay? Honoring your word with them. Okay, absolutely. What about with your boss? What does faithfulness look like your boss? Obedience? Okay. How so? What else? How, how else does that look like? What does that look like with your boss? Do a good job. Absolutely. Be respectful. Yeah. <laughs> Be there. <laughs> That's the starting point. Be there. <laughs> yeah. And I think you're going to notice there's a lot of crossover, as we're going to talk about a couple other relationships here, but there's a lot of crossover. What about with your spouse? I mean, not everybody's married, but if you have a spouse, what does faithfulness look like? Constant communication? Okay. Keeping your marriage vows? That can't be your answer for everything, Mike. <laughs> but it's true. Be there. <laughs> what was that one? It, does, it starts with being there. Right. 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 What about, I mean, if you're, if you're a husband, as a Christian, leading. Leading in your home. That's faithfulness. Raising your children to know and love the Lord. Loving your wife. Okay. What about wives? Scripture talks about submitting to your husband as, as unto Christ. Loving your husband. Honoring your husband. Raising your children to know and love the Lord. What about in our relationship with God? What does faithfulness look like in our relationship with God? Being in the Word, yes, delighting in His Word. You can see that all over the Scriptures. Praying, obeying, praising, commitment, yeah, committing to Him, yeah. I mean, these are, I mean, these are simple things, simple concepts, right? Like, you could, we could go on and on and on with this list of what does faithfulness look like, and you could. Sum it all up, I guess, and saying, be obedient. I mean, that, that covers all of it because the Scripture tells us all the things we are to do as Christians, how we are to be as Christians, how we're to act as Christians. So that, is, that would be faithfulness, we, if you could think of all of them. But that list will go on and on and on. And, and in different kinds of relationships, uh, being faithful is important. Um. 
including some of the very difficult ones. Loving your enemies. Praying for them. Forgiving others. These are very, these can be very difficult. Um, as you think about the relationships you've had over the years, and maybe there's people in your life right now, it's very difficult to be faithful, being obedient to God and his commands when you're interacting with this person who's very difficult to deal with. Um, well, what are some examples? Let's think of some examples of faithfulness in the Bible. Give me, give me an example of Old Testament, New Testament, doesn't matter. An example of faithfulness. Abraham? Okay. How was Abraham faithful? If you're going to bring up a name, I'm going to ask you how they were faithful. Okay. Right. God told him what to do, and he was faithful to God, and he, he was going to carry it out until the Lord stopped him. Who else? What other examples of faithfulness in the scriptures? Jesus. Right. Absolutely. Again, our perfect example of faithfulness, our, our Lord Jesus Christ, who was perfectly obedient in every way, um, very faithful to the Father and to all that he was sent to do. Absolutely. Other examples of faithfulness in the Bible? Moses. Okay, Noah, how was, how was Moses faithful? Okay, he, yeah, he pushed back a little bit, right? But, but he was faithful, ultimately. Okay, Noah, what about Noah? How was he faithful? How long did it take him to build that ark? <laughs> yeah, a long time. Over 100 years, can you imagine, what was that? Exactly. I mean, in light of all the circumstances, you want, you, it's no wonder why people made fun of him. But imagine that long building this thing and you see no evidence that, that there's any need for it, that it's going to happen, but he, he was faithful all the way through. That is absolutely a great example of faithfulness. The apostles, you think about Stephen. Stephen was faithful all the way to being stoned. The apostles were faithful all the way to their deaths. Yeah, I mean, tons and tons of examples of faithfulness in the scriptures. Were they perfect, besides from Jesus? No. There was some pushback, right? There was some, some hardship there. Some wondering, what's going on, all that kind of stuff. What about unfaithfulness? What are some examples of unfaithfulness in the scriptures? What was that? <laughs> okay, are we just going to say all the same names? We could, right? There's some, there's some initial unfaithfulness maybe, or maybe partway through there's some unfaithfulness. Right, so we see examples of there's faithfulness, there's some falling away from faithfulness, there's some disobedience in there, but then a return to faithfulness. And there's, it's a perfect example of the fact that someone is a child of God, that they would repent, 
that they would turn, and, and David did, right, when the prophet came and, and laid out this story for him about his sin with Bathsheba, and he's all angry about this supposed person, and then and he says, the prophet says, the man is you. The man is you. So, Jonah, you know, he was not faithful at first. And God kept after him. Absolutely. Judas, with Jesus during his ministry, seemingly like all the other apostles, but Judas was unfaithful. How was he unfaithful? He betrayed Jesus, he, and he was unrepentant. He was not a believer. There was no faithfulness there. Saul, in the Old Testament, unfaithful. All kinds of examples we could see. Peter, yeah, I mean, a great example of faithfulness, but, you know, Peter had issues. Someone has said Peter had a foot-shaped mouth because he's always putting his foot in his mouth. Uh I mean, we could almost name every name of someone in the scriptures. We can see examples of faithfulness, examples of some failures, returning through repentance. In Paul's early life, yeah, as Saul, sure. Not faithful, though he thought he was. Um, but we should really then talk about what true faithfulness looks like. And that is that really can only be seen in God himself. Only God is truly faithful. We have biblical examples of God's faithfulness. When we talk about ourselves being faithful, it ultimately, it's ultimately faithfulness unto God. Right? Our, whatever faithfulness we have, ultimately it's unto God. All examples of the faithfulness of God's people are faithfulness to God. It may look like being faithful to a spouse or a boss or a friend, in your obligations, but ultimately, it's for the Lord. And Ephesians 5.22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Okay, Ephesians 6.5-7, bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Now these are these are things involving relationships with other people. But what's being done is being actually done unto the Lord. It, it takes away our excuse to not be, not do the thing, to not treat the person the way we're told to. We can no longer say, you know, um, there's a command to, you know, for husbands to love their wives. Well, I I can't love my wife. She's, she annoys me. She disrespects me. Uh, I'm not talking about my wife, by the way. This is, a, this is an example. <laughs> but, but if I felt that way, that's not, therefore, an excuse to say, I don't have to be faithful to my wife. No, the command is to be faithful. And there's not a condition that she be perfect or do everything she's supposed to do first. Colossians 3, 23 and 24 Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord 
Christ. We see that in everything you do. Work as if you're working unto the Lord. You are serving Christ the Lord. We might ask ourselves, well, it doesn't seem like that. I mean, I'm going to work, do my job, you know, come home. What does that have to do with serving the Lord? Well, if you are being faithful, ultimately that is unto the Lord. You're being obedient to his command to be faithful, no matter what else is going on around. But God, that's us. Right? But God, on the other hand, is not faithful in order to be obedient. He's not faithful to some and, and not to others. God is faithful because he is God. He's faithful because he's perfectly righteous and just. He's faithful because he cannot lie. Right? He's faithful because he's unchanging. God is faithful. He is trustworthy. He keeps all his promises. And what you should be doing here is comparing that to human beings okay, that, that fail at every turn with these things. He keeps all his promises. He does everything he says he will do, and that is for the righteous and the unrighteous alike, which should terrify everyone outside of Christ because he does everything he says he will do. So in this word, pistis is used of God. Uh, in the New Testament, one example, Paul wrote to the church in Rome and explained that God is faithful even when people are not. Romans 3, 1 through 4, says, Paul writing here says, uh, Then what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. What if some were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar. As it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. Which is a quote from Psalm 51.4. God is true. He is trustworthy. And any accusation against God... Any accusation to the contrary immediately shows the accuser to be a liar. Okay, the, the people broke God's covenants, not God. God is always faithful, and that will never change. What does it mean, or how does it inform the way that you and I think about God and his promises if we know he is faithful? Psalm 117.2 says, For great is his steadfast love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. What does that mean? How does that inform our thinking? Absolutely. He's faithful in his wrath. He says it's coming. It's coming. How does it inform our thinking as believers to know that God is steadfast in his faithfulness, and that his faithfulness endures forever. Huh? Okay, so you're, you're talking about biblical truth about God and what he's done and what he says he's going to do. And so you apply this verse to that truth. It helps us to trust. It helps us to have understanding. 
Right. Absolutely. We know that we can depend on him. Absolutely. He says it in the scriptures. It should inform our thinking as Christians. And when does this going to come about? It's going to come about, come about when things are hard, when there's adversity, when there's suffering. That's when we're going to begin to go, ah, is this really true? What God said about his faithfulness? And then we go to the word and it informs our thinking. It reorients our thinking. It renews our minds in his word to the truth about who he is. And that he says, for great is his steadfast love toward us. Who is the us? His people. What does forever mean? Forever. And ever and ever and ever. No end. There is no end to his faithfulness. It endures forever. Other examples, 1 Corinthians 1.9, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. If that's true about God, what do we make of 1 John 1.9? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What do we make of that? If he is faithful, he will forgive the sins of the one who confesses. And he will cleanse them from all unrighteousness. We can trust him because he is trustworthy. He is faithful. He will do it. He cannot not do it because he promised. And he is not like us who breaks promises. He does not lie. He does not change. And we can go on with the scriptures, and we should. We must, you and I as Christians must, let the word of God about himself inform our thinking. Give us assurance. Give us hope. Because life is difficult. It is hard. 1 Thessalonians 5.24, He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. 2 Thessalonians 3.3, 3, But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. Can you believe that? Absolutely. Hebrews 10.23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And apply these to your life when you're struggling. Apply them to other believers who are struggling, maybe who are doubting because life makes it look like God is not faithful. I talked about this in my sermon about being content in the Lord and his providence. Okay, bad or difficult circumstances are not evidence of God's unfaithfulness. You, we need to get that out of our minds. It is not evidence of God's unfaithfulness. But isn't that what people often come to believe in the midst of great hardship? They begin to believe this is somehow evidence that God is unfaithful. That's what people come to to believe why because they don't have an understanding of the purpose for suffering in the life of a believer if we are taught and believe that to say god is faithful means he'll give me all that i want and things will go great we're set up for disaster because the reality of life hits so don't believe those kind of lies that is not what faithfulness means when it comes to our God. We need to have a right understanding that for God to keep his promises to us, 
also includes the bad things that he said will happen. But he also promised, never leave us or forsake us. And we can trust because he's trustworthy. He is faithful. So you and I need to understand faithfulness. We need to have an attitude of faithfulness and live out the faithfulness that the Spirit of God produces in us. Like Paul, if you want to turn with me to 2 Timothy, um, Paul wrote to Timothy, and, and I will, I'll end with this as another example. 2 Timothy 1, verses 8 through 14. And this is, look at this as an, an example of Paul's attitude of faithfulness. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith, and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. What is his attitude of faithfulness based on? What would you say Paul's attitude of faithfulness is based on? Okay, the word of God. He's trusting what God has said. Absolutely. Okay? He's his own lived experience. Yeah, his own past experience with God's faithfulness. And really, ultimately, the truth about God who is faithful. This is what everything is based on, and it does, like Mary said, I mean it's the word of God. It, that's where we're informed. Well, what is his attitude of faithfulness in suffering empowered by? The Holy Spirit. Right? We, see, we see this in verse 8 and verse 14. In verse 8 it says, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. And verse 14, By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. All empowered and produced by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit, those verses there, the Spirit of God and the knowledge of of that truth about the Spirit of God motivate Paul's attitude of faithfulness. And then, I mean, even in the following verses, 15 and 16, he goes right into examples of, of the unfaithful and the faithful. In 2 Timothy 1, 15 and 16, he says, You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Elegius and Hermogenes. Okay, so he talks about these two men who were with him. But they left. They departed. They turned away. 
They they were unfaithful. In verse 16, May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. Okay, so this had a tremendous effect on Paul for people who were supposedly brothers in Christ to desert him was a terrible loss and a heartbreak because Paul knows the faithfulness of God. He cared for their souls. They turned away. But he's then thankful to God for God's faithfulness and providing another to refresh him. Onesiphorus, that's a hard name. He was faithful. He was faithful. Because, as Paul said in verse 17, when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. This is his faithfulness to his brother in Christ, Paul. In his time of need, he searched for him, he found him, he provided for his needs. Paul said, he refreshed me. So, as we think then about faithfulness, as we think about what it means for us to be faithful, may the Lord grant us faithfulness. May he be gracious to us, um, giving us an attitude of faithfulness, um, a belief in his faithfulness, and an action in our lives of faithfulness lived out. And we've seen example. we can see the example in Paul, we have so many examples in scripture of faithfulness. You have examples in your own life of people, Christians more mature than you, who are faithful believers. I'm not talking about perfection, but they are faithful. We can learn from that. We can be encouraged by that. Most importantly, we we should look to and ask God to help us look to the faithfulness of our own Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the perfect example of faithfulness. Let's close in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, again for your word. Thank you, God, for Ultimately, Lord, for your faithfulness. There is nothing better than your faithfulness. It is perfect. Pray, Father, that we would see that. Lord, your faithfulness to keep your promises, especially in salvation through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, what an amazing thing. What an amazing truth. Lord, I pray that we would be encouraged by that, if, if anyone here, to, here tonight does not know you as Savior, Lord, would you, would you encourage them with your word tonight, your promises, that if, if the one comes before you and confesses their sin, Lord, that you are faithful and just to forgive their sins, Lord, you will cleanse them of all unrighteousness, and we can trust that and believe that absolutely, Lord, because you are trustworthy. You are unchanging. You cannot lie. You always do what you say you will do. Help us, Lord, to be encouraged by that tonight. Help us, Lord, to be encouraged as we go out and we interact with other people, Lord, to be faithful. Faithful in all that we do. May we do what we do as unto the Lord. May you receive all the glory and the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. I thank you all for being here tonight.